Well, Popper, nothing like an episode of OHL Stories where we've got some stories kind of banked. We had made our long trip up to Sault Ste. Marie now a couple of weeks ago, and that was going to be the the focus of our podcast last week. But it ended up being a podcast with a Prince Edward Islander, not to mention somebody from Summerside, which is the same place that Don Cameron, the late great, hailed from. So it turned into just a little trip down Don Cameron memory lane, some stories about him and then an Islander on the podcast. So we've got a little bit in the bank from that trip up north. But boy, oh boy, it was a lot of fun with Billy McGuigan last week. And uh, the internet seems to love him too. My goodness gracious, the uh, the feedback that we've been getting on Billy's podcast. Well, it's great. He, he told some good stories. And um, when we started talking about Don and we had kind of had our plan as to what we were going to talk about in this preamble. And we started talking about Don. It was just the perfect segue. How do you, how do you not? And I mean, I, for one, will listen to any Don story anytime. I, I don't think we should ever, you know, push a Don story just because we have something else to talk about. His stories rule over everything. On, uh, on Twitter just today. Uh, and you can find us by the way, I'm at Farwell underscore OHL and Popper is at underscore Chris Pope. Uh, another one of our previous podcast guests, uh, Pete Krupski, Krupper, uh, the one-time voice, the only voice, play-by-play voice that the Plymouth Whalers organization had ever known. He's now with U.S. Hockey, but Krupper shared a photo of he and Don Cameron on Twitter today that we both reshared, and he talked about him being the Vin Scully or the Ernie Harwell of the Ontario Hockey League, and you can just see the love for those. We, we called Don the legend. I know that embarrassed him, but for a legend like that in junior hockey circles, because the amount of activity around Krupper's picture uh, was pretty significant today. It's neat. It's neat to see. It is neat to see. And I, it did bother him when we referenced him as the legend, but when you call over 4,000 games in a league, I think the, the moniker comes with it, whether you like it or not. I, right. You have no choice right. in the matter. It, yeah. You did it no. yourself. Yeah, and I I loved Krupper's tweet, and I thought it was perfect because he really was the Vin Scully or Ernie Harwell, depending on where you want to go, what city, but the longevity of his career and just how good he was. And, like, I I haven't heard one person ever say a bad word about him. Like, that says more about the man than the broadcaster to me. Yeah, he was always the consummate professional and the the truest of gentlemen as well. Not to go back into, although I think we could do every OHL stories episode with more and more about Don because he's got 4,000 plus games in 55 years that we could talk about. Well, he'll already be pissed that we mentioned him on this podcast <laughs> after point. talking about him so much last episode. So let's not anger the old man anymore. I did want to just touch on uh, our experience up in the Sioux. It was a bit of an odd one because, and look, the schedule is quirky this year. We all get it. The storm were just in the Sioux this past weekend and they played back to back, which is what the Rangers are going to do at the end of the season. The whole idea with the quirky schedule is to try to cut down on the amount of travel and hotel stays uh, for the Rangers when they went up. And so our trip was a, a three-day jaunt. You go up the day before you play game day, and then you make your way home the next day. It's three-day jaunt for one game, but uh, it did allow us the opportunity to spend some time in the Sioux. And I, I got to say, it's an OHL market that I got a lot of time for uh, the, the ownership group there and the commitment that they have shown to that franchise to me, is is pretty remarkable stuff and got to find out a little bit about what they were going through 
when when it all came crashing down back in March of 2020, you and I, Popper, have talked a lot about being a part of one of those final broadcasts. We were at the Sleeman Center, Rangers Storm on Wednesday, March the 11th. We finish our broadcast. And when that broadcast was done, the signs were starting to point to no more broadcasts after that. And so yeah, I, remember, I remember saying to you, we're done. Yeah. Like, as soon as we saw the NCAA cancel March Madness, I thought. Yeah, we're we're done. We so March Madness makes so much money, and if they're canceling that, we're we're done. It wasn't the cancellation of the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival that tipped you off. Listen, the Mennonite are a resilient bunch, <laughs> and I have been to the Elmira Maple Syrup Festival. That one hit hard. Yeah, for sure. I had to make and, my own pancakes. So if we go back to that time, uh, the the Sioux Greyhounds were actually en route to a road game. They had gotten as far as Espanola. When, which isn't too far from Sudbury, when they were told, you know what, guys, turn it around. There's not going to be a game for you to get to. So they they grabbed a bite to eat in Espanola and turned back around. And then this would have been Thursday the 12th, because we had finished Wednesday the 11th. Thursday the 12th, they're en route to a road game. There's not going to be that road game uh, for the next day. So turn around, go back home. And all of a sudden then, it's by order from the Ontario Hockey League, get the players back home because some pretty serious stuff is going on. So just imagine, you know, we always associate the players on the team with the city they play in. But as you well know, like there's a reason that the Greyhounds final game before the Christmas break is always in Southern Ontario. Cause these boys hail from, you know, at least you can get to Toronto for easy access to other places, whatever. So you got a, a team, 20 plus hockey players, teenagers up in Sault Ste. Marie, and you've got about 36 hours to get them back home to their families. So all these phone calls start happening. You know, how do you want your kid getting home? Do you want him on a plane? Do you want us to put him on a bus? Like what's going to happen here to get your kid back to you? And they go through all of these logistics and make it happen. And then of course, like the rest of us, we just wait and wait and wait for hockey to start up again. But when you think about the additional level of expense and logistics that's involved when you are operating the team furthest north in this Ontario Hockey League and you never unless I'm not paying enough attention but you don't hear squawking about you know ownership asking government for money or anything like they just they do their job and they put a damn fine product on the ice while they're at it they do and it's one of the premier organizations in the Ontario and in the Ontario Hockey League easy for me to say um in my opinion year in and year out and we talked about it when we were up there on the broadcast that you know, for the last probably five or six years since Kyle Dubas was up there, it's the same thing every time you go up. Like, they're going to have a good power play. They're going to work hard. They're going to roll four lines, and they're going to be a good hockey team. And every year you think um, that they're not going to be a good hockey team. They just are a good hockey team. And it, I think that they've created quite the culture up there, and they may not get as much credit as the London Knights um, but I think they're right there right now. Like they year in and year out, they draft so well. We talked about it. They have the big three right now up there. Uh, Cartier, Kearns, and I apologize. I can't remember the other the, the other player on that line. Uh, McKay, Cole McKay. Cole McKay, thank you. Yep. And, and they were all like a fifth, a fourth, and an eighth rounder, I believe. Like their drafting up there is just phenomenal. And they turn out superstars like Frost and Radish and so on and so forth. Um, and they just continue to Darnell nurse. They continue to do it year in and year out. And it's, it can't be easy up there. Like imagine we know how full an OHL bus is to go on a normal road trip. 
imagine what it's like for the Sioux when they are coming down for that last game before Christmas and all the players are going straight home from their game, let's say in Kitchener or Mississauga. So they have all their bags packed for their Christmas holidays that they're going to have all their clothes for family, all the presents for family, all that's got to get on the bus. And then it logistically, you mentioned the logistics, like that must just be a nightmare up there. I can imagine what it's like for, you know, we don't have it that tough in Kitchener with travel, but to be up there in the Sioux and, trying to do all of that it's not easy and they they deserve the credit they absolutely do and and like you said the the product that they continue to churn out despite the off-ice challenges if i can put them that way look it's mm. a it's an obstacle that other teams don't face it's as simple as that so i i just say good on them and when you talk about um the same thing year after year after year i have to say i was really happy when we were up in the Sioux. And we walked into the media room and the soup ladies were there. These are not like the Seinfeld soup Nazi. These are the ladies who insist because you're in the Sioux, don't you know? You got to have a bowl of soup. But in a league that lost Bernice from the Owen Sound organization, that was just before the pandemic. And Bernice was a guest on our podcast way back in the day when it was still uh, the Farwell and Pope brand podcast. But she was just an absolute sweetheart that took care of that media room. Kingston lost one of its uh, media room matriarchs over the past year, year and a half. And fortunately, you go up to the Sioux and those same two lovely ladies are still there offering up a bowl of soup that they will then bring right over to your table as you're making your notes before the game. Yeah, we've talked about it numerous times, but you said they're not like the soup Nazi. They kind of are because you have to follow the protocol when you walk in. Instead of going up to the the uh, the soup, if you will, the counter, thank you, and putting down your money and then moving to the left and pay and then taking your food, you walk in, they bombard you. <laughs> There's no other way around. They bombard you. I hadn't had the C out of my name signing in before. She was in my face, like feet away from me. Do you want soup? Do you want soup? Sure. And then you have to go to your table. Don't think about going up to pick up the soup. They won't let you take it. They will serve you. So there is rules when going into the Sioux media room. You say yes to soup and then you sit down and they bring it to you. One package of crackers. That's it. There will never be a time, though, that they say no soup for you in the No soup, soup for you. No, of there course not. Always um, going to happen. We should also give the, the Greyhounds credit because their closest trip is Sudbury. And I always thought, well, that's close. Like it's closer, an hour and a half maybe, until this Sioux trip where I drove up myself on the day of the game, left at nine in the morning from Kitchener. And I'm on this hike and I'm thinking, you know, this is an eight-hour trip. And the night before you start questioning, I started getting a little nervous. I'm like, can I do eight hours on my own? Like, that's a lot of driving straight. And then the morning of, I'm like, okay, no problem. I got snacks. I got my podcast I'm going to listen to. Listen to the Mike Farwell show on City News 570. And, oh, you uh, didn't. No, I didn't. Um, and, and then you're driving up and I'm like, oh man, I've been driving a while. And then I look and it's like still an hour and a half to Sudbury. I'm like, holy jump. And this is a hike. And then I get to Sudbury and in my mind, I think oh, I'm already in Sudbury. I'm going to be so early to this game. I'm cruising. This is an easy drive. And then that drive from Sudbury to Sault Ste. Marie, it's an extra, it's another three and a half hours. Like I thought it was an hour and a half and that once you made it all the way to Sudbury, then to go another three and a half. Oh, that was the worst part. I'm like, I feel so close. So for them to have that kind of travel routinely and still be able to put a good product out on the ice, 
Like I give them more credit for their fast starts on the road than any other team ever because bus legs just takes on a whole other animal when you're playing up in the Sioux. So just think now the Sioux trips are Sarnia, Windsor, Flint, Saginaw. That's the West division in the Ontario Hockey League. I know we talked about this on our game broadcast. I'm not sure we got a chance to bring it up on the podcast. Even in normal times, there are additional games added to the Sioux schedule versus the Sudbury Wolves just because of geographic proximity. But if you were to ask me, it is high time this league almost rewarded the Sioux a little bit, gave them some closer trips, and created a North division that would include Sudbury, North Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, and I would throw Barry and Owen Sound into there as well. Barry and Owen Sound play extra games against each other anyway. Uh, put those two teams in with the three further North teams, and I think you've got the makings of a nice realignment with a North division. We want Dale DeGray on this podcast. Why do you have to piss him off? You think yeah, Owen Sound going to like that? <laughs> no, he is not. Owen Sound is not going to like that in any way. But it's nobody's fault but Owen Sound's that they're kind of landlocked that way, right? Like, well, they are. If, but who's the rivalry in that North Division then? Yeah, I suppose. As opposed, There's yeah, because no the, the Highway Six rival with Guelph. But then, so it becomes you throw some extra Guelph games Owen Sound's way, just like you throw some extra Sudbury games Sault Ste. Marie's way. There are ways to do this, Chris. Sure, there are. Yeah, but, if you're not an own sound, Mr. DeGray, just respond to our emails, would you? Like, come on the podcast. We'll have some fun. Come on out to the coast. Have a few laughs. It'll be great. I just think it's hard enough. It's hard enough for Owen Sound to do what they do. We talk about Sue getting credit. The Owen Sound smallest market in the league, um, and they still have the same budgetary constrictions as many other teams. So for them to do what they're doing, and then if you were to take them and put them in a northern division. There's no rivalries there for them at all. There's no Rangers. There's no Knights that would draw well in Owen Sound. There's no, I'm sure Mississauga probably does pretty well in Owen Sound as a rivalry um, because Owen Sound beat them for their lone championship. I just think if you put them in that Northern division, I think you, you bury the Owen Sound attack. I really do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and you, you make a really good point. It It's not perfect. And I guess maybe what we have right now is as, uh, imperfect as, as we can make it or as perfect as we can. It's perfect in its current imperfection, I think is kind of what I'm getting at. I think you know where I'm going with this yeah. uh, just because of the teams that are there. But it's interesting you bring up Owen Sound and Mississauga as well, because there is some hand wringing this past week in the Ontario Hockey League over the attendance numbers in Mississauga, which look we knew would be the case. Attendance is down across the league as it is. And everybody has been reminding anyone who will listen about the point you just made when Mississauga hosted that Memorial Cup in 2011. Thank goodness for the faithful from the Bayshore that made that trek down to the Hershey Center. That's what it was called at the time. uh, Paramount Fine Foods Arena to watch the hockey games, because otherwise that Memorial Cup and that OHL final might have been a bit of a dud for the city of Mississauga. Yeah, they were calling it the Bayshore South, right? Yeah. Yeah, there were so many attack fans there. And they're, listen, their fans are diehards for sure. Like, there's not much else to do in Owen Sound. You know, in in the winter months, you can do ice fishing during the day, and then head to the attack game at night, and that's just about it. There's, I think, one bar, maybe two. <laughs> like, there's, you know, there's Joe Tomatoes, which is like a Boston pizza type thing. There's not much to do up there, and it's attack country. So I think if you were to put them in that division, 
I think it probably buries them. But I, you, you mentioned Mississauga. Listen, it's no secret that their attendance is always crap. Like, it is. Um, but you need that GTA-based team. We talked to David Branch about it, and it's important for the OHL to have a team right in the GTA just to say that they have a team in the GTA. You need a team in the Toronto area. And yeah, there's not many fans because scouts can go other places, but there's a lot of scouts based in Mississauga. So, you know, there's often as many scouts at the game as there is fans because scouts don't have to drive very far. They can go to that game instead of driving to Saginaw to see Cole Perfetti. You, one more quick thing on Owen Sound because we were talking about them and we were just there this week. And did we not get the best day ever to go to Owen Sound for a hockey game? Beautiful sunny day, nice and mild. We got up there, we shot a little video right right on the shore of the bay. Uh, you can follow along OHL stories on Instagram, on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, we post all of this stuff up there for you. Popers Coffee Reviews, little rants that I do every week called Fridays with Farwell. It's all on our OHL Stories uh, social media channel. So check it out, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And I wanted uh, to do a little video... Along. Wanted to do a little video too, but no uh, day of the week starts with a C or a P. So I was kind of euchred. Could make something up. Yeah. Well, I yeah. used to do a thing called the papal address, but I figured it's you're, bad. no, it's not bad, but your, your ranting is enough. We don't need me ranting as well. well and I'll you got look, Chris's coffee reviews. Yeah. I'll let my coffee and you do the, the ranting, <laughs> but that, that day in on sound was a beautiful day for more reasons than the weather up on the Bay shore. And that is because. The Flint Firebirds oh. handed the London Knights their first loss of the season. So we can stop hearing Ryan Payette start lobbying for a 68-0 no season down in London. Listen, Payette was the first one out with the excuse-making machine. I mean, my goodness gracious. This, like, If you are a writer on a junior hockey beat, do you keep the excuse-making machine beside you at all times? Because he just gave, gave her a little crank. Uh, there we go. What's excuse number 13 coming? Oh, Luke Evangelista was not feeling well. Okay. I will crank it over one more time. What? Oh, the, the new import didn't have his paperwork to cross the border. Okay. We'll use that excuse to stop it already. Stop it. No asterisk going on a nine and O start. We are going to get Ryan Payette on this podcast. No, we're not. not for, not for OHL stories, just for a 20 minute debate. Between you and Ryan Payette, and I'll play mediator. Okay, put on a put on a striped jersey, because I'm ready for it. That guy I didn't he, say he, I'd be fair, <laughs> but you bring that up. I know I couldn't quite figure out where you were going until you mentioned Flint Firebirds. Can we just please uh, acknowledge the individual behind the Oshawa Generals Twitter account? And before you start getting your knickers knotted, I want to take a moment to remind you it's sports relax have some fun every good story needs a villain and the ohl has its villain it's called the london knights embrace it anyway whoever well, is do. running they exactly right so payette does every whoever's running the oshawa general's twitter account sent out after the firebirds victory over the knights last saturday at Flint Firebirds, on behalf of literally everyone, thank you. Well played, Oshawa General's social media manager. Well played. So good. Literally on behalf of everyone, thank you. What a great tweet after the game. They weren't even playing in the game, but they know. And they're they're 
playing into it too. The heel, if you will, of the London Knights. Flint responded, we aim to please, which I thought was nice too. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, that Twitter sphere is so, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Farzi? It's, it's toxic. Is it, what is. it is. But it's it could use some fun. Well, that's the thing, right? It started off with being fun, but now it's really went to that. Like that's where news breaks. That's where people get a lot of their information and it allows people to just say whatever's on their mind, whether right or wrong with no fear of repercussions um, for the large majority of users. But I think that when it comes to sports and stuff like this, this is a real opportunity for teams to generate a fan base that they wouldn't. Seattle's had some really good tweets since they came in. Vegas was always really good. Florida is outstanding with the stuff with the the Habs and selling the Aho t-shirt. Like there's so much room for creativity and, and good nature ribbing. And that's what this world needs something to provide some laughter. And I, I think these OHL teams hopping on board and not just tweeting out news releases and stuff like that, showing a little personality. It's good for the game. You're going to get, a younger fan base in, and we know that the OHL fan base is majority older. I wondered about that. And, and so I'm curious, you think, cause you mentioned a, a different, you're reaching a newer audience, a different audience. I wondered how young it would be. And I only say that because oftentimes I feel like the old guy on Twitter, because after Twitter and Facebook, well, Facebook first then Twitter, you know, there are so many other platforms from, you know, Snapchat to Instagram to TikTok. I'm wondering who the demographic user of Twitter really is, but I was wondering about that. And if this does perhaps open up the game to a younger audience, because the the wisecrack was made as we sat in Owen Sound on Saturday. Oh, here come the Owen Sound seniors. But that's not unlike most junior hockey markets. Peterborough's famously known for that too, their Thursday night tradition for older people in Peterborough was to go to a Pete's game. So I think the the league generally does skew older. And if Twitter is going to be a medium that helps them reach a younger fan base, I'm even more in favor of it. Yeah, we're seeing OHL teams have their own TikTok accounts already, mostly because their players are on TikTok, I'm sure, or friends and family are on TikTok. So this way you can show off your players and some of the personality. At the end of the day, yes, these are young athletes, student athletes, but they're young, like they're young people. They're 16 to 20 years old. So, you know, you have to show that personality off and allow them to have a little fun. And if you can do some funky dances or whatever on TikTok and do some funny videos, makes their experience better. And I think you will pull in some of that younger crowd. So I think it's important for some of these teams to be on some of these social networks and try to do things to get that young generation in because we're seeing it right now more than ever with COVID, the large majority of, OHL season ticket holders and people who go to games are older. Those are the people who are at the most risk. Those are the people that have sadly passed away because of COVID. And those are the people that even with the double vaccination, don't want to go into a building of 7,000 people. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. I don't feel that comfortable being in a building with 7,000 people and I'm young. I'm not going to say I'm fit, but I'm double vaccinated. So I can imagine the thought process they have of, is it worth me? going and spending X amount of dollars on season tickets this year, or do I just listen on city news 570? I look forward to the days where we are done having these conversations. Not that any of the points you just made are invalid. It's just, it's so exhausting after all of this time, but here we are and you're on the mark. I just, I can't wait until we're focusing exclusively 
on the games. And I'm glad that's why we have this podcast to focus on the games and some of the great stories from the games. And we've already made reference to the city uh, where our guest this week scored the biggest goal in that franchise's history. And it's a proud history too. So this is pretty significant. It is Peterborough Pete's only one Memorial cup championship in over 45 years. Whoa. Yes. They've won numerous OHL championships. Yes. They've hosted, but only one Memorial Cup title. And Bob Atwell scored the overtime goal against Brandon Wheat Kings off a point shot from Larry Murphy, and he will forever not pay for a beer in the city of (laughs) Peterborough because of that. Add on to it, he's connected through family to the McCreary's. Obviously, the McCreary name and hockey go hand in hand. And he played 22 games in the National Hockey League. He took some time to tell us a few good OHL stories. Bob Atwell or Gunner. Bob, there's a lot to talk about, including the biggest goal in Peterborough Pete's history to this day. And it was scored more than 40 years ago. But before we even get to that... I'm curious how a guy from Spokane, Washington, ends up playing in all places, Peterborough. Yeah, um, <laughs> kind of a long story. Um, I think uh, I might have mentioned this to you before, but uh, my father was a hockey player as well. Um, and uh, he was out in Spokane playing with the Comets at the time in the old Western League. Um, but my dad spent years in the American League with the Cleveland Barons uh buffalo bisons at that time um he played some years in the quebec league with shakutami and the quebec aces um back in my dad's day they were they were uh they were owned by teams at a young age and and he was at first owned by boston and then uh montreal came along and wanted him to sign and my dad didn't know any better. So he signed with Montreal, Boston found out about it and uh, he got suspended his last year, junior, he got suspended for a year because he did that. Um, so he, uh, yeah, interesting stories in his career, but he was, he bounced all over the place. We spent years in Cleveland and Buffalo uh, first year of expansion. He got picked up by St. Louis. So we spent a year there. Um, and like I said, I was out in, I was born in Spokane when he was playing with the chiefs or comets and, uh, yeah. Then I ended up, uh, came back. We, we always, um, came back to Canada, Ontario, up to Sundridge in the, uh, in the summertime. And I grew up there and, uh, played my minor hockey in Sundridge, small little town in between Huntsville and North Bay. And uh, then I moved away to play Junior B in Bramley with the Blues and got drafted by, from there from, by Peterborough. Um, Roger Nielsen was in Peterborough at the time. And uh, that's how I ended up in Peterborough. Because your dad played hockey, was hockey always your dream? Yeah, you know what? Yes. I yes. have to say uh, we just – well, everybody in Canada grows up playing hockey. But, yeah, I was more – more involved in it. Um, when dad was playing pro, he'd take me to the practices. I'd, I'd sit in the dressing room with their trainers and, and I'd go out on the ice before the practice and after the practice and, and all of the players on his teams were, were good to me. 
Um, so it was all, yeah, hockey was always a big part of my life. I had uncles who were NHL players, um, a cousin who was an NHL player. Um, uh, and my cousin was an NHL referee. So it's, it's all in the family. Yeah. So what's it like for a kid from small town Sundridge, which by the way, I knew as soon as you mentioned it, because it happened to be an accidental stop on a road trip. I was on with a buddy a few summers back and we ended up uh, overnighting there. So I got to know the town a little bit, but uh, it's got to feel pretty special to be the kid from Sundridge that gets drafted into the Ontario hockey league. Yeah. You know what? Um, For sure it did, but the little, this little town of Sundridge thousand population, um, it's got seven seven people who grew up here that played in the NHL. Um, Bucko McDonald, I don't know if you remember that name, but he was the oldest, and he played on two Stanley Cup winners. Um, he was the oldest guy from Sunridge that played. Then there was Greg DeVries, more recent, played with Colorado and won a Stanley Cup there. Um, and then I had two uncles who grew up here, um, my dad and my brother-in-law. So there's, yeah, Sundridge uh, has created a few hockey players. Well, they still have hockey camps up there. My brother went up to a hockey camp up in Sundridge. They're major camps up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Bob, I want to I ask, when you, if you were ever on the internet and you tend to Google your name or if you're just showing someone your stats and you look at the Hockey DB page or you look at your time in the OHL, do you ever – look at that hairdo and think, man, that's sweet. <laughs> you had a little Sean Michaels thing going long blonde hair. Looked like you were, should have played on the West coast instead of in Colorado. Chris, that's a, that's a, that's a great uh, question. Cause I get asked that from, and given a hard time about that hairdo from, <laughs> from many people. Um, but it's funny you mentioned that, that one of the reasons, not the only reason, but, um, Ron Dugay, you probably remember that name. He, uh, my first year in the league, he was in Sudbury, um, gr- and he was a great hockey player. Um, but he had that hairdo and, uh, that kind of, cause I always had straight hair. Um, I thought, eh, let's try and try and have that Dugay look. So I got the perm there for one year and that was it. <laughs> Let's be honest, neither Chris nor I should be asking anybody about their hairstyle today or ever. <laughs> well, that's that's why I brought it up. And for people watching on YouTube, look yeah. at that. Look at that. <laughs> Man, I am jealous. <laughs> when you look back, Bob, uh, haircuts aside, hairstyles aside, do you, do you recall a uh, a welcome to the OHL moment when you realized, you know, now now I'm in a place where – you know, these games matter and there's competition for the next level. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you always remember your first training camp. Um, and, you know, I had played junior B and that kind of, that kind of gets you ready for it. But junior A is that next step. And uh, I remember going to camp and I don't know if you guys remember a guy named Ron Mason. Um, he was a great, great player. He scored like, my first year there, he scored 52, 54 goals, something like that. Um, and then he was tragically killed in a, in a car accident that summer. But he would have been a great player. He was great friends with Dale McCart. Um, they were buddies. But anyways, what I, what I was getting to is, is Ron, 
I got to be a line mate with Ron my rookie year in training camp. And he just kind of guided me along and the coaches and the, uh, and the staff in Peterborough actually told me that, that Ron was a guy who, you know, he, they asked him about me and, you know, do you think this kid should make the team and, and Ron, Ron more or less voted for me and said, yeah, give him a chance. I think he, he's, he's got some tools. Um, so that, that was, you know, just going through that training camp and being tutored by Ron Mason. Um, and then you meet other guys. Keith Acton was there. Uh, Mark Curtin was there. We had some great players that you just watch and you learn from. And, and, and being in Peterborough and being drafted by Roger Nielsen, the big, the big name, um, it just, you're, you're there and you, that's when you sort of realize you know, hockey's fun, but now it's now it's getting to the point where this is going to be my job. This is what I, this is what I want to do. Yeah. You mentioned Roger. What was it like the first time you met him? Uh, Roger is a he's a great guy. He's he's a, a hockey guy. He was so passionate about hockey, um, and he would he was such an honest guy. Like he would tell you right away what you did well and what you didn't do well. And um, I can remember he always said to me, you know, you, you've got great puck handling skills. You're a great skater. But he said, you don't win too many battles in the corner for the puck. And he said, if you want to go anywhere, that's what you have to do better. Yeah. From that time as a rookie to your final year with the Peterborough Peets, that, of course, was the year 78-79 when the team won that Memorial cup. And it's still, it's hard for me to comprehend Bob. And I wonder about you as an alum thinking back because historically you just look by the numbers and Peterborough has been to more finals than any other team, but they've only got that one championship to this day. Does that like, I see you nodding along as we're having this conversation. Yeah. It, it's pretty, you, you would never have thought of it then, obviously. Never. Never. All the, I mean, there was great teams before our team um, and, and better, probably better teams after our team. I mean, they've produced Chris Ponger, uh, Steve Eiserman, um, Mike Ricci. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And, and so many teams, even the team, I mean, we lost, our team lost in the final the year before we won it. And then the year after that, they lost in the final again. Um, so yeah, to say that we were the only team to win a Memorial Cup in Peterborough, uh, it's hard to believe, but it, it's, it's something that everyone on that team, uh, we cherish. Uh, it's great. Take us through the goal. Larry Murphy took the shot. What did you see? Yeah, you know what? I, I remember it perfectly. Uh, there was a dump in, um, I chased the puck into the corner. Billy Gardner was there with me and, uh, I think it was guards actually passed it back to the point to Murph and I went to the front of the net. Murph took the shot and the rebound came right to me and um, their goalie was pulled out of the net. So I had a wide open net to shoot at and, and that was it. It was, and I can remember uh, the celebration. It just went crazy, but everyone's jumping on everybody and, and guards jumps on me and he goes, Hey, Gunner, Gunner, just just make sure you get me the assist on that goal. <laughs> that was, 
whatever, guys. If I can follow that up real quick, you look at traditional hockey nicknames like Atwell, I would go Weller or Atsy or something. Where did Gunner come from? Yeah, that, that's a good story. There was an old uh, trainer in Peterborough, um, not when we were there, because as you know, Dick Todd was our trainer. Um, but it was an old, his name was Gunner Lynch. And he used to come around the rank the odd time. And, and he talked kind of uh, in a unique way. And I could imitate him pretty well. So I got stuck with the name Gunner. I got to I got to ask since we're talking about that goal and that championship uh and I feel bad doing it but if you were to talk to Brad McCrimmon the defenseman playing against you he will insist that the play prior to the goal that you scored Murphy's point shot you on the rebound was actually an icing that was not called was it an icing gunner not a chance <laughs> <laughs> not a chance and i respect the heck out of brad mccrimmon he was a great hockey player i think he played 58 59 minutes that game but uh yeah no way that was icing so his name came up he was the defenseman who took the shot larry murphy as a red wing supporter in my childhood thank you leafs for trading him to detroit and letting us win another stanley cup but w- what was larry like uh, Murph was a great guy. That was his actually his rookie season. But even uh, as soon as he came to training camp, um, he was such a big guy and such uh, you could tell right away he was going to be a great hockey player. And he was great for us that year. He just had he was so poised, um, so calm with the puck, um, and he carried that on into the NHL. That was that was obviously his strength with the puck and and so. Never got rattled in any situation. And, um, yeah, Murph was Murph. We, uh, we love to give him a hard time, but he, he took it. And uh, now he's got the last laugh. He's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> what would you give him a hard time about? Just about because he was a rookie and we were the yeah. vets. And, uh, you know, you give the, the rucks a hard time. And, and he, uh, Murph, uh, he was kind of a quiet kid, didn't say a whole lot, but but he um, once he got to know any everybody and and got to feel part of the team, he just he just fit right in, and he sure uh, he was a great player for us. I, I read an interview recently with your coach Gary Green, who suggested, and I'm curious about the the wording that he used because he said he had to be pretty demanding of you guys during that intermission after the third going into the overtime, you score two and a half minutes in, so it didn't take long. But when he said he had to be pretty demanding to get you refocused, because I guess the guys maybe felt that you should have won it in regulation and just couldn't. What, what do you remember from what coach Gary green told you after that third period? Yeah. You know what? Um, I just remember, I just, myself, I just remember it being pretty quiet. Um, and I remember more greener trying to build us up and get us ready for the overtime and, um, make sure that we weren't down, um, and not second guessing ourselves. uh, just think positive and, you know, who wants to get that next goal and who wants to score the winner. Um, I did, I, it was just, we, um, 
we didn't have, as you know, we didn't have a team of superstars. Um, although we had Murphy and we had Crowder and we had Greg Thaburge and Billy Gardner who went on to have good careers, but most of us were, were plumbers and muckers and, and, uh, yeah, we just stuck together and it was, I just remember it being pretty quiet and Greener just reinforcing to be ready and be positive. Gary Green is maybe someone far as we should try to get on this podcast because he's got a wild story himself. Um, but when he was coaching you, he was in his early 20s. How weird was it to have such a young coach during that time of your life? It was weird. But you know what? I, I'm not sure I've had a better coach than Greener. Um, and I think it was because he was so close in age to us. Um, he just could relate to us. He knew how we were feeling. Um, he knew if we needed a boot in the, in the rear end or, or uh, a pat in the back. Um, and he just, he would do things that, like he dragged us away. We were uh, in the playoffs one time. We were having a tough time, and he said, "Okay, we're go- we're going. We're getting out of town. We're going up to a hotel, and we're going to spend some time just the team." And he'd do that all the time just to get us together. And uh, I don't know. He was he was amazing, and and we played jokes on him um, because he. I think because he was so young. I remember we. You know, we put the tape on the bottom of his blades. Um, he couldn't see it, and he stepped on the ice, and he wiped out. And he was so mad, and he threw the stick up in the in the stands, and he said, okay, you guys are on your own for the rest of his practice. <laughs> and we could do all that, and then the next day he was fine. It was, I don't know, we just had that relationship with him, and we still do to this day. Greener keeps in touch with all of us. We We have reunions every year. Um, he was just a special guy. We, we couldn't have had a better coach. So while we're on the subject of coaches and you mentioned that Greener was probably the best you had, I guess that means better than, even though it was a brief time in Colorado, but somebody by the name of Don Cherry, if I'm not mistaken, Bob, was the coach of the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Don Cherry, uh, he, he, um, he always called me Ronnie because in the American league, he played against my dad all the time. My dad's name was Ron. So the first training camp I was there, he, he came up to me, we're skating around the warm up, and he says, Hey kid, he goes, if you're half as good as your dad was, you'll, you'll have a good career. I remember that. Uh, but yeah, he always called me Ronnie, but, but grapes, you know what you guys probably know grapes and I've heard all the stories, but he was a great uh, motivator. Um, As far as a systems coach, uh, I wouldn't say there was much there, but he may, he got the most out of all the players. And if you didn't want to play for him, you wouldn't play. But if you were willing to sacrifice and give your, give 110%, then you would play. So So always like like grapes. The uh, the debate between who was the better player, you or your father, I think it's pretty close. 22 games each in the National League. You each scored a goal. Yeah. He's got you beat on the assist, though, by two. Does he ever give you the ge- Did he ever give you the gears? Uh, well, he always – yeah, yeah. He always said he had the upper <laughs> hand there. Um, 
But yeah, if there if there ever was a comparison, uh, my dad would be the, the the much better player. He just he grew up when it was tougher to to make it the six team league and 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 all that. But um, yeah, if he'd have come up in my day, he'd he'd have had a good career. He what was, are the chances? Father and son both play the same amount of games and with the same amount of goals. I think I it's crazy. You know what? I I use as a hockey trivia. What father-son combination scored the same amount of goals? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to remember that one. We'll have to use it yeah. too. Yeah. I, I want to go back to that 78-79 season in Peterborough because you, you mentioned it, Bob. Not not a, a superstar-laden team by any stretch. And, and the team prior and the team after also went to the Memorial Cup and didn't couldn't do what you and your teammates did that season. Yeah. Again, echoing Gary Green, but he pointed to a game – in January, when you played the Niagara Falls Flyers and had a third period comeback as kind of the moment where he recognized that, you know, this team maybe has what it takes. Do you remember that game and, and that comeback? I, I don't remember that game in particular, um, but I do remember our comeback to beat Niagara Falls in the playoffs. Yeah, the final. I, I wondered about that, too. As, as Obviously, the Memorial Cup would stand out, but you had to come back from 3-1 down, didn't you? We did. Yeah. We did. And as you know, Niagara, Niagara Falls had a great team. They had uh, Stan Adams, Steve Larmer, Steve Ludzik. Um, they, had, they had a great team. And you know what? We just found a way to battle back and win that series. It was that – was, that was a highlight. That was a great series to win. Which which series was harder to win? That one against Niagara or the semifinals against Sudbury with the likes of Felino, Dave McQueen, who we've had on this podcast, and some guy who's coaching down in London and done pretty well for himself? Yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> we actually went through three top series that year. Uh, the first round we played Kingston. Um, and they they had us. I think they jumped out to, if I remember correctly, they jumped out to two uh, two nothing lead, and we came back, won that in six. And then uh, Sudbury took us to six games as well. Um, and yeah, they had, and they also besides Felino and and Hunter, um, they had a player named Scott Gruel. I don't know if you remember him at all. He was a great player in junior. Um, scored. 50-some goals probably that year. But they and Dave McQueen, um, they had firepower like you wouldn't believe. Um, but, yeah, another – they were they were all tough series. And you know what? That might have got us prepared for the Memorial Cup because that wasn't easy either. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was a tough road. But all good series. What was it like having – the Peterborough Memorial Memorial Center, pardon me, as your home rink. Chris and I always enjoy going mostly for the history, but watching games there too. We call them the square corners. I'm sure you know, like the oddities of that arena. What's it like having that as home ice? Yeah. Well, we, we obviously use that to our advantage. We, sure. would, we would practice uh, dump-ins and shooting around the boards and we would know the bounces that it was going to get. So we would use that to our advantage. The other team's, they wouldn't know it as well as we did. Um, our fans were second to none. I mean, we couldn't get as many fans as Ottawa did or uh, the bigger arenas. But as you know, in Peterborough, Peterborough is a hockey town. 
and uh, the fans stood behind us. It was a great, great place to play. I'm going to ask you about a player that you may not be asked about that often, but the year before you won the Memorial Cup, you played with Jeff Brubaker. I looked at the stats. He had over 300 penalty minutes in 68 games. <laughs> like that, that's over four and a half a game. What was it like? Was he just fighting everybody back then? Yeah, the the <laughs> brew man. We there there. I don't know if there's a better guy in hockey than Brew. Um, he came in. He was playing university, I think, down in Michigan. He was at a school in Michigan, and we got him halfway through the year. And when he joined the team, it was just such a huge difference. Like he would, he would go through the freaking wall or through the end of the rink for, for anybody. And yes, he fought every game. I remember uh, a game in Ottawa. He fought Hospodar, then he fought Rory Cava, then he fought Hospodar again. And it was like, come on, bro, you're not tired. And and he wasn't. And then he'd fight Coolis and he'd fight Willie Huber and Secord. And yeah, it was Brew. Uh, and he's and he could play. Like he scored 20 goals his last year junior um, on the line with Mark Curtin and Keith Crowder. Great line. And um, you know what? I just I just saw Brew probably five years ago. We were playing a a game down. He lives in Carolinas now and uh, got together for a little charity game and he showed up and it was funny. He walked in the room and he had this, it was like a freaking army bag and we're all watching him. We're all re- getting ready to get out there and brew walks in and just kind of grabs a bag and starts dumping it on the floor and his skates come out and hockey pads, shin pads, we go, what the heck, Brew? And he still had the old tube skates from way back. He goes, yeah, I haven't skated in about five years, boys. <laughs> he just broke out. But there isn't a better guy and a guy that would have your back more than Brew. Yeah, great guy. Great guy. When we look back, Bob, at the game of that era, late 1970s, you, you almost needed a Brew on your team, didn't you? Oh yeah, I can. Yes, it was. Yeah, you had to. Uh, you had to defend yourself, and you had to. I wasn't a fighter. You guys know that, but but sometimes you had to show up, and uh, and you needed the guys like Brew. Um, I can remember a game in Hamilton when they had Bert Templeton coaching, and and uh, brawl broke out in the warm up, um, and they had guys like Tim Coolis and. Willie Huber, Al Secord, they had a bunch of big boys who were known for scrapping. And um, Brew, we had Brew and Keith Crowder. And those are the guys that kept those guys at bay. Um, so, yeah, for sure. In those days, you needed a Jeff Brubaker. For sure you did. You mentioned his name earlier, but looking back on your time in Peterborough, does it ever, do you ever take a second and think, Dick Todd was our trainer? <laughs> Like <laughs> the legendary career of Dick Dodd <laughs> and he was your trainer at that time. Of course, um, Gary Green had talked about how he just said, well, you're training and we don't have any assistant coaches and I don't have an assistant GM. So you're both of those now too. Yeah. But what, would you ever look back and just think Dick Todd was my trainer? That's weird. Yeah, 
that weird. That was weird. But we, as the players there, we knew Dick was more than a trainer. Um, you know, he would he would give us pointers all the time too. Um, you know, kid, you're not doing this right, or you're not doing that right, and and we knew, you know, he was always in with Greener in the in the office discussing what they were going to do, what their you know, line changes they were going to make, who was going, who wasn't going. Um, yeah, Dick's, uh, Dick's a smart guy. He's a, he's a sports guy. He knows his hockey. Um, and, yeah, it, it didn't surprise me that he went from trainer on our team to a, a great career in the NHL coaching. When you played, uh, who was the biggest rival? Uh, it would have to be Oshawa at that time, uh, our next door neighbors. And they had, they had a great team at that time too. Tom McCarthy was there. Um, Lee Norwood on defense. They had a bunch of guys who had good careers. Uh, Claude Julian, who's coaching. Uh, um, he might be fired now, is he? But uh, he's, he's coached for quite a while. Um, yeah, they had uh, that was our biggest rivalry, and they had a good squad. So we uh, we went toe to toe with them quite a few times. I didn't want to lead you too much on that, just because anytime we talk to a Pete on this podcast, it, that's what you get. And and I would argue, I think Chris and I have, in fact, that Oshawa Peterborough to this day remains the best rivalry our league has, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, oh, yeah. Do, does any game stand out that you're like, wow, that was a bad one? Because we had Scott McCrory on, and he talked about getting in a, a line brawl, a team brawl, in the tunnel. <laughs> like the team was running around to the other side to fight uh, Peterborough, even yeah. like off the ice. Yeah. No, I he- I heard about some of those. Um, we never, in my day, we never had any uh, any brawls break out. Um, there was lots of fighting on the ice, obviously, but nothing that spread into the hallway or off the ice. Um, Lots of good games, lots of games that went into overtime. Um, uh, but not, I mean, one game I guess that would stand out in my mind is um, in Peterborough. I was actually lucky enough, I scored another overtime goal, and that was to beat Oshawa in Peterborough. That's a nice one. Yeah. You got you got the overtime Midas touch, Gunner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The boys always tell me that one goal has carried me a long ways. <laughs> Do you ever get sick of talking about it though? Because as you said, like, you know, when you mention your name, that's the first thing, despite 22 games in the national league and a long pro career, that is the one thing people are talking about first. Do you ever get sick of it? Never. Never. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think, no. no. And you know what? Greener, uh, after I scored that greener came to me and he goes, you know what? This is going to be a goal. You never forget. And he's absolutely right. Um, I mean, there was, I don't know if I would call that the highlight of my career because playing your first game in the NHL was always a highlight. Uh, scoring the goal in the NHL was a highlight. Um, playing for grapes was a highlight. Um, and getting to know Lanny McDonald, Wolf Paymont, um, all those guys are highlights. But, yeah, tough to beat that one goal. So, Let's let's talk about it a little bit more, because when I watch that goal, uh, it, it sounds like the sort of thing that coaches are telling players all the time. You want to score, go to the net. 
you see Murphy about to step into one. And I mean, you, you collect that rebound, but it, it sounds when you talk about it, it sounds a lot easier than it actually is. Were you deliberate in your movements prior to that shot to get to the area where there might be a rebound? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, uh, um, I can remember the puck got dumped in and, uh, I chased it into the corner, um, with guards and I have a tough time remembering this, but it must've been guards who got it back to Murph. And, uh, I just remember, okay, I got to get to the front of the net. There might be a rebound here. And, uh, sure enough, it happened. Do you still pay for a beer in Peterborough? <laughs> <laughs> Never. I got the key to the city. Didn't you know that? <laughs> what What is it like going back, though? I know you guys just had, I think it was the 40th year anniversary in 20, was that 2018? Is that, would that be right? My math? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's still, you can't believe the amount of people in Peterborough who still remember that um, 40 years ago. And what was neat about that is all of our players showed up from that team, um, except, um, God bless him, Mark Reeds um, passed away. Um, but even the, the two Finns, Ansi Malametsa and Veli Kanunen, came over from Finland. Um, and you know what? We, we got together and it was just like, 40 years was gone. We had never been apart. It was, it's amazing how that happens because, you know, we, we all went to Peterborough as teenagers, kind of learning, learning life, learning hockey um, at the same time. And you kind of grow up together. And I think it's something that's so powerful. And then if you're lucky enough to, to win a championship, um, you never forget it. And you don't forget those guys who are part of that. They're like, you're forever, uh, you're forever brothers. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's not a cliche. It's, it's really the way it is. You mentioned a name earlier. It, speaking of brothers and family, we've documented how many, you know, uncles, cousins, your father, et cetera, all the players from Sundridge uh, that went on to pro careers. But you mentioned a name earlier, Greg Thaberge. And if I've got the family ties correct here, it would be your nephew, Brett, that ended up playing for the Peterborough Peets as well because your former teammate, Greg, married your sister. Is that how is it, did this all work out? I got the that, dots connected? That is correct. You've got the <laughs> dots connected. Yeah. 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 Was he a guy on your team that you thought, I'd let you date my sister. <laughs> or did this come about and you were like, uh, no. Get away from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually my fault. I invited Greg up uh, to my place in Sundridge for the weekend, and he ended up spending more time around my sister than me. So uh, that's how it started. So I take the blame. Darn teammates. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like watching another generation play for that same team that both you and Greg played for? Yeah, we, uh, we went down and watched many games. Um, and you know, it was pretty cool actually watching, watching Brett play there. And, um, they didn't have, uh, the success that our teams had. Um, 
And I, I think that's tough on any kid. If, um, if you're lucky enough to get on a good team, it's much easier to for your skills to show through than, than if you're not on a winning team. Um, so he, he, um, I mean, he enjoyed his years in Peterborough for sure, but not being on a winning team, I think was tough on and, and everybody there. You were on some winning teams before you made it to the OHL, winning a couple provincial championships with the Mac Lang All-Stars. Wow, you've done your research. And your father was the coach, if I'm correct, right? That is correct, yeah. What was that like, winning provincial championships when your father is your coach? That was pretty – it was, you know, what winning at any level is is special. Um, And my dad was a great coach. Uh, Very good at teaching the fundamentals – obviously. Um, he was hard on me and he, he realized that afterwards. Um, but I think, I think that was good for me at the time. It wasn't so good for me, but I think it paid off in the end. He, um, yeah, of course he paid more attention to what I was doing and what I wasn't doing. And he let me know that, but he, um, he was a great coach. Everyone on those teams, um, that we won with still remember dad and, and what he meant to them and how he taught them the game and the right way to play it. And yeah, he was, it was, it was, we definitely had a great relationship because he did coach me for sure. It's interesting because we were chatting just before, uh, we, we started this recording, Bob, about my father who was in education. And at one point he was my high school principal. And I can tell you, not the best years of my life, to be honest. <laughs> so, but dad for a coach, a little bit better than dad for a high school principal, I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> winning, winning helps too, I suppose. It does. It yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bob, as we sit here for our people who are listening by a podcast and not on YouTube, <clears throat> you have a photo of what I can only assume is Colorado Avalanche. Uh, players' names, the jerseys in the stall, and then I'm assuming because I've seen these before, one of those jerseys probably says Atwell on it. That is correct. Uh, my uncle uh, Keith McCreary, who played many years in the NHL, he gave me that as was my 50th birthday present, and it's yeah, it's got my name in between uh, Sackick and Forsberg and Pierre Pierre Roy. Yeah. So I wanted to ask because those jerseys suck when it comes to Colorado NHL standards because those jerseys you guys wore were fantastic. They were the best, weren't they? I love those colors. Yeah. And, and with your long blonde flow too, it just added to it so much. There's a couple of great photos. Um, what do you remember from your time playing in Colorado? Um, I remember grapes, of course, um, being a tough coach, um, players he liked and didn't like. And, uh, and he made it, I mean, I always tell people when they ask me what, what you saw on TV, um, it's pretty much how grapes was. He just said it how it was. And, and if he didn't like you, he would let you know. If he did like you, he'd let you know too. But as long as you gave it your all and worked for him, um, you were in his good books. Um, what I also remember are, uh, the, the, the big name players. We had Lanny there, um, 
I remember getting my first NHL paycheck and, and Lanny uh, came over to me and he said, come on, kid, you're coming with me. We're going to put that in the bank. You're not going to spend it. So, <laughs> uh, so I always appreciated that. And Lanny would have all the rookies over to his place for pregame meals. He just, Lanny was, Lanny was Lanny. He was, he was a great leader and everyone respected Lanny. Um, Rob Ramage, he was the same age as me, but he um, he was coming in uh, to start a great career, and Rammer was just um, just an unbelievable guy, and and he was such a tough guy and skilled, and I can remember the the veterans would always be on Rammer the way they're on rookies, but. They were relentless because they knew how good Rammer could be. And, um, yeah, he broke through and broke through that barrier and uh, and had a great career. But I remember him. Uh, Rennie Robert was there. Uh, Wilfie Paymont. Well, he was traded for Lanny, but I remember him. Uh, I just remember being in the NHL, and I only played 22 games, but just um, the level of the hockey um, and wishing I could have stayed there longer. Um, but it's, it's an experience I'll never forget. That's for sure. You were there and the records show that you've got that goal to your credit that we only alluded to. We've spent a lot of time almost going through a play by play of that overtime winner with the Pete's for the Memorial cup. Tell us about the NHL goal. You know what? It, it was, think of back now, and I've never thought of it this way, but it was a lot the same as the overtime goal. It was a, it was a rebound. Um, it was against Detroit in Colorado. Um, Jimmy Rutherford was the goalie. And, yeah, rebound, and, and I stuffed it in. Um, the worst memory I have of that game is – I should have had a second goal and it would have been much prettier. Um, I, I went around the defenseman, his name, it was Jimmy Corn, um, and I beat him to the outside, was going to my backhand, lost the puck. Otherwise, I'd have stuffed it upstairs, but <laughs> would have had to. Then you would have had bragging rights over your father. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, in those 22 games, you say you only played 22. You played in the show. You could have taken one shift and you could, yeah, you ride that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, but was there any player on the ice, either on your team, whether it was Lanny or someone you played against, where you were like, holy cow, that's so-and-so? Like, I've well, made it. Yeah, I'm Wayne Gretzky, of course. Um, yeah, he does that. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, you know what, Wayne was so modest. Um, I played against him first in junior B. He came in, played half the year and he won the rookie of the year. Um, then we go, he's still playing junior B and I'm in Peterborough and we call him up for four games. Um, and I remember at the time the coach was, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Gary Young at that time. And Younger says, yeah, we got we got this kid Gretzky coming in, so you're going to have to move from center to, to the wing to make room for him. And I said, okay, whatever. But he even at, I think he was 14 or 15 at that time, and, and he just, he didn't score, but whenever he had the puck, he did the right thing, right? And he was just this skinny little guy, 
but you could tell he was he was special. And then and then the next year he goes to Sault Ste. Marie and he's freaking led the league in scoring and lit it up and and you know the rest of the story. But yeah, when yeah, Gretzky is he was just head and shoulders above everybody else. It's funny because when you mentioned Tom McCarthy's name earlier with Oshawa, that was obviously who Oshawa took instead of Wayne Gretzky. And uh, Sherry Basson told us that story on a previous episode of this podcast. But you must have been watching this kid up in the Sioux saying, hey, I shifted positions for that guy last year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, after after your time in the NHL, two years later, you find yourself in the American League with the Moncton Alpines. You had a teammate who we've had as a guest on this podcast, Joe McDonnell. Do you have any Joe McDonnell stories for us? Man, are you serious? <laughs> I got lots of stories. Joe <laughs> and I are best of buddies. Um, his wife and and my wife and and our kids. We we spent. Tons of time up at Joe's cottage up in uh, Port Loring. Um, so I've got lots of Joe stories. Uh, he's he, nobody beats Joe. I I rode uh, rode the bus with him when he was kitchen the coaching the Kitchener Rangers and uh, went through the tough losses that he went through at the the one the Memorial Cup when they lost to Oshawa. Um, Lindros I think was on that team, right? Correct. If I'm yep. Yeah. Got it. So, um, yeah, I've got some, I mean, Joe was, he was a great player, had a great shot. Um, he was a great coach. He was a great teammate. Um, yeah, he's, I don't know what kind of stories you want me to tell, but I've got lots of stories. I want a story that probably was told around the bonfire up at Joe's cottage or something <laughs> over, over a couple Molson Canadians. <laughs> Oh, we've got some good ones. It was a joke when we played in Moncton. Um, Joe's roommate was always Lowell Loveday. I don't know if you remember Lowell, played in Kingston. Um, and my roommate was all, was always Al Hill. So when we'd go on a road trip, Al and I would always, you know, we'd go with the rest of the team. We'd venture out to the bars and have a few beers and and Joe and Lowell would never, you know, we'd never see them. So we got to be, I don't know, halfway through the year. And we said, what the heck are you guys doing with your time? Like, we're out at the bars having a couple. And they'd be, they'd sit in their hotel room and they'd buy a six pack and they'd have some beer and they'd order in pizza. And, you know, we call them the closet monkeys because they'd, they'd, <laughs> they'd, they'd never go come out with the team to the bars. They'd stay in their hotel room. Cheap. Yeah, that's just frugal. Money. frugal. That's the word that us cheap guys like. It's frugal. That's right. what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, not too long after, Bob, the career takes you to Europe and you get to play professional hockey there. And, and judging from uh, the teams you were a part of, you saw some pretty nice parts of Europe, it would it would seem. But what, what led you overseas? I actually knew a guy, uh, worked at a hockey school, the hockey opportunity camp with a guy named Dave Sherlock. Um, and Dave had played over there for, I don't know, five or six years. And then he got into coaching and he approached me, um, 
probably two years before I went over. He said, whenever you think your career is done over here and you might be interested in coming over to Europe, uh, just give me a call. So I called him and um, went over. He was in a small coaching a team in Bad Tolz. It was in the second division in Germany. Um, so that's where I spent my first year there. And then it just con- continued from there. If, yeah. if we can go back to um, the Memorial Cup for just a, one question I wanted to ask, because three teams were two and two at the time of the round robin being over. And then they went to goals for goals against for the, for the final. I don't, I didn't take a look at the schedule, but do you know who like the final game of the round robin, which would have left three teams, two and two either a, were you guys a part of that final game and knowing that it was going to come down to goals for and goals against, or were you guys watching thinking we have a chance here? Yeah. Yeah. No, we were watching. It was, uh, Brandon playing against uh, Three Rivers, Trevor River, yeah. yeah. Were you nervous watching that game? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we kind of had a, we had a slow start. We lost to Trevor Riviera in the first game. Um, so that put us behind the eight ball. When you're only playing four, four games, um, it's, it's, you know, when you lose your first game, you're like, what the heck? Um, and then we ended up losing one to uh, Brandon uh, in the the second game we played against him. But uh, yeah, I mean, we were sitting watching that last game and uh, knowing that Brandon had to beat Trail Riviere for us to get in there, and that's that's what happened. Yeah, that, that's got to be so nerve because you're it's out of your hands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we put ourselves in that situation, right? So. And then you play, you, you need Brandon to win that game to get in. And then you end up playing Brandon Yeah. in the final. Yeah. Yeah. But how about the year before we, we beat new Westminster twice in the round Robin in that Memorial cup, there was only three teams. So we beat new West twice in the round Robin, meet them in the final. They beat us and win the Memorial cup. Yeah. Which was the bigger feeling, losing the Memorial Cup and that dejection or scoring the overtime goal and winning? Oh, easy, the, the overtime goal, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, losing, especially when we thought we were the better team. Um, and not to make excuses, um, Keith Acton was hurt going into the last game. Um, we had one other, Tim Trimper might have been hurt as well. We had a couple – key players who were hurting going into the last game. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm sure New West had some guys who were hurting as well. Uh, but it was tough knowing uh, that we had beat them twice and we felt we were the better team, but didn't turn out that way. We've talked about your nephew coming through the organization. Obviously, the, uh, the opportunities to get together as alumni, some charity games that you've played in. How close to the junior game, the Ontario Hockey League, do you remain today, Bob? Uh, very close. Whenever uh, I live up by North Bay now, so I, I attend many of the battalion games. Um, whenever I'm in Kitchener, I'll go to the Ranger games. Um, and I make a point of, I go back to probably three or four Pete's games every year. Um, yeah, so I and I'm I'm always checking the standings and seeing how the Pete's are doing, and uh, so very close. I yeah, it's I mean, 
OHL will always be near and dear to my heart for sure. Arzi asked about uh, overseas. Was playing overseas back then the same it is now with suitcases of money being dropped off and <laughs> maybe did. maybe not being paid and Russian gas and so on and so forth? Well, I wish um, I didn't get any, I didn't get any of those suitcases of money, but no? I did have to fight for uh, for money sometimes. I re- I remember. Um, I think it was my third or fourth year I was playing in Halbron in the second league and uh, the owner wasn't paying. So I had to leave a couple of practices, go to his office and say, I'm not playing anymore if you're not going to pay me. And he'd scramble and come up with a paycheck. And yeah, so it, it was interesting times and interesting hockey, like very very different um, hockey than over here. Over here, it's more intense and lots of body contact. And um, over there, it's like lots of cheap stuff, um, kicking your feet out and sticking you from behind. And and they seem to um, focus on the Auslanders or the imports and, and try and get them to react and take stupid penalties and all that stuff. And until you learn the system and learn what they're doing, um, their, their actions seem to work. Um, but it, it was a great experience, um, huge ice surface. So if you're a good skater, it's, it's a fun place to play. And you do see a lot of uh, Canadians that you played against back here, like Art, Art Rutland was over there, um, John Markell. There was... Uh, Paul Messier, Chris Valentine, a bunch of guys that uh, that you know, and you you know when you play against them, you talk to them and have a beer afterwards. But yeah, I wouldn't trade. It was a great experience, good way to see the country. But as far as the game goes, uh, the game over here was much better than than over in Europe. Paul Messier, Farzi, is the guy that Billy McGuigan was talking about on their podcast last week, where they were both going for the same NHL team and. Paul ended up making it. Yeah, it worked out okay for Paul. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think the quote uh, I read, Bob, was something along the lines of, we're not the Sutters, but, uh, you know, speaking with all the family that are involved, your family involved in the game. Over the years, have you taken the opportunity, probably more than once, I would guess, but kind of to reflect on what this game has meant to you and, and your your relatives and what it's given you over the decades? Oh yeah, it's 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 giving given uh, a lot of us um, a living for many years. Um, it's given us a lot of, of joy and pleasure, and um, you know, careers. There's there's seven of us who made careers out of it, um, not long careers, but careers. Um, and just you know, just whenever we get together, it's the conversation is hockey and you know um we played in family tournaments together um after we were all retired um it's just yeah the memories and 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 everything that hockey is hockey's been our life and um to a lesser extent i mean if you talk to the sutters they'd say the same thing or the hulls or any of the families that have many Larmers, him and his brother, um, 
it's just you grow up playing hockey, and if you're fortunate enough that you can, that can you can make a, a a long career or a short career or whatever length um, and enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's been hockey's been great to us for sure. How many of those dinner chats revolved around telling Bill that he missed a call? <laughs> <laughs> Which Bill are you talking about? Bill? You know, three of them. Yeah, that's so right. I'm, All of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. If you, if you can't even make fun of your relatives for blowing calls on the ice, who can you make fun of, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You know what, though? I would have to say, uh, you guys might agree. I think Bill was one of the, the better officials in the game. He he let the boys play and, and um, didn't uh, didn't seem to call any of the cheap stuff. But, you know, he – and I think it was because he played the game before, so he knew what everyone was going through and knew the game um, and just told the guys, here's your limits, stay within them, you'll be okay, and uh, play the game. Yeah, he had and a great job for the game had that helmet hair on too with the mustache. So who's going to say anything to him? <laughs> right? Pretty, pretty boy. Yeah. yeah they always right. look good. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, Bob, it's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you making the time for us to, uh, to relive some of these memories. And hey, to this day and counting, biggest goal in Peterborough Pete's history for the only Memorial Cup championship. That's pretty special 40 some odd years later. Hard to believe, isn't it? Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Thanks I appreciate for- uh, you guys taking the time. I, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I tend to do this, but I got one more for us. Of course I can, he does. Quick. Of course he does. <clears throat> I was thinking about it earlier, but, and we, I asked this question to just about every guest. I think we have that's played in this league, especially around your generation, but that Windsor arena, we talk about it every <laughs> podcast, man, it yeah. was tough. Do you have any memories from going into that Windsor arena? Yeah. Wayne Maxson. <laughs> he was a he was an asshole. No, <laughs> no, I just kidding. Wayne uh, Wayne was a great coach for the league, but he, I remember uh, they had Herbie Joel Quinville played for them. Um, they had some great players there too. Blair Barnes was a good good uh, OHL player, uh, but they had this little little guy, and he played in the Sioux for a while. And he was just a shit disturber. Do you guys remember the name? Um, but oh, he would boy. disrupt the game. And he was he wasn't a skilled player or anything. He would just go around and he would cause shit. Um, so that's what I remember about going into Windsor, because you knew he was gonna cause shit. You had to deal with him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. We'll I find we'll find him and get him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. we just gotta figure <laughs> out who it is now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Lord Bob, knows they've had about I don't know hundred of them that played. Exactly. On that <laughs> when we're up in North Bay, or you find yourself in an OHL rink with the Kitchen Rangers in town, make sure we uh, greet one another in person, shake a hand, and uh, you know do this in real life. But this has been a lot of fun. So thanks again. You know what? I'm gonna look for you guys whenever. Uh, yeah, whenever I'm around, when uh, if I'm in Kitchener or. Kitchener's uh, up in North Bay. I'll, I'll look for you guys. Sounds Please good. Do. We'll look forward to it. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617. 
the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.